Well, hello, my name is Jill, and I'm the Manhattan Beach Campus Pastor here at Journey of Faith. We're so glad that you guys are all here with us today. Also, this is the time in our service where we connect over to our Torrance campus. We're so glad that you're there. Yeah, I got a couple of woos if you didn't hear them. Uh, Also, to our online audience, hello, we're glad that you're joining us. I love that even though we're spread out across the South Bay, we still come together to have this shared experience this morning. Uh, We are in the last week of our series called Backstory. Uh, Each summer, we spend a couple of weeks looking at some true stories from the Old Testament and try to understand how they can help us live out our faith and our lives today. Now, I always love these backstory series uh, because when I was hired at Journey of Faith, I was the kids director. Uh, And one thing that happens over at our Journey Kids ministry is that each year we go through the entire Bible with the kids. And so a lot of the stories that you're hearing in these different series are some that are very familiar and that I get to hear all of the time. I actually have a photo. This is my son with his craft. Uh, This is a craft from the story that we're going to be reading about today. It's a little lion, if that's a spoiler alert for some of you. Um, But why these stories in the Old Testament are interesting and and we can create engaging lessons and cute little crafts for the kids to do uh, if we don't do the work to really understand what it is saying and what it is telling us about God, we'll miss some very important truths that can help us live out our faith. Uh, So today we're going to be looking at a section of the Bible that is referred to as the period of exile. Now, the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the period of the judges. Uh, Alex talked about the period of the kings, uh, and then this is the one that follows those. And so during the season of the judges and the kings, the Israelites were stuck in a cycle of sin and rebellion and moving away from God. Uh, And God continuously reminded them, stay faithful to me, follow me, or the consequence of that sin will be your peace and will be your homeland. He told them that if they can't stop turning away from him, one of the neighboring uh, countries would come in and take over their land. So despite the warnings, the Israelites persisted in sin, and that's exactly what happened. Um, The country of Babylonia came over and took over their land. They all but destroyed it, and they took God's people, and they scattered them about in this new and foreign land. Now God's people were going to be living in a space where where the people there, they could care less. They couldn't care less about their faith and their tradition and their religion and that they were God's people. So now God's people were going to have to work a lot harder to stay faithful while they were living in exile. We're gonna read from a book of the Bible that's called Daniel. Uh, The author of Daniel is Daniel. And Daniel is a prophet, right? Daniel um, was a Jewish teenager, and he was living in a country surrounded by Jewish people who were all following the same God. And then overnight, it changes for Daniel. Right, And so before I give away too much of Daniel's story, I want to show that we will find our main idea from the life of Daniel and that we can have resilient faith in every circumstance. 
Now we see this because when Daniel was taken into captivity, uh, the Babylonian king named Nebuchadnezzar brought Daniel and a few others into his palace uh, for the intentional opportunity of getting to them to think and live and lead like Babylonians. It was a three-year process where the king was trying to shift their identity into their new country. The king even gave them Babylonian names. And then at the end of this trial, um, Daniel was given a job in the government. So you can see that Daniel's new circumstances were going to make it harder to stay connected to God. And when I was thinking about this idea of how our circumstances and our culture uh, can move us in a direction, uh, it actually brought back to my mind this mental picture of an experience I had at the beach with my family. Now, it was a very hot night, and so the beach was very, very crowded, and as we walked down there, we ended up having to set up right in front of a sign that said this, no swimming beyond this point. Now, you guys might know how the ocean works, but I'm from Oklahoma, so I'm still catching up, Uh, but this sign was there to keep people safe. Because what was happening is there was a very strong undercurrent in the ocean that was moving people in the direction of the pier. So this sign was there to keep people out of harm's way. So what would happen is I watched about 50 yards down, there was dozens of people and they were playing and body surfing and splashing and having an amazing time. And they slowly but surely would move directly in front of the danger sign. Right, So I would watch, and the lifeguard, he would come down from the tower, and he would whistle, and he would wave the rescue can, and he'd say, come out of the water, come out of the water. So they'd walk out, they'd walk 50 yards down, they would get back in the ocean where they would play and splash and body surf until they were directly in front of the danger sign. And I watched this happen over and over and over. Right, So the undercurrent was just subtle enough that they didn't realize that they were moving away from where they meant to be. So as I build this analogy of this undercurrent, like our culture, I wanna point out a couple of things. The undercurrent was not a secret. There was a lot of signs that this undercurrent was there and people knew what it was doing. Right, And so uh, what happens with our faith and our culture is that sometimes it might feel like there's this crashing wave, right? And our faith is disoriented and we have to figure out what to do. But more often than that, the, the influences of our culture are subtle and they slowly move us to a place that we don't mean to be And we don't realize it until the lifeguard has to call us out of harm's way. Now, knowing that this undercurrent is a part of our world, there's a few responses that we usually see. One end is the extreme that says, if it's dangerous, I'm not going in. Uh, If there's anything that might risk my faith, I'm staying out of the water, I'm reinforcing, I'm hunkering down, I'm not going near it. Right now, that option feels safe, but it completely disconnects you from the world that you're living in and anyone else who might think a little bit differently than you. 
Now, the other response that we see happen is on the complete other end of the spectrum, right? Where you say, like, eh, what's the big deal? So I drift a little bit here and there. I might make a few compromises along the way. Is it really that dangerous? And then maybe you give up your face, right? Or you change what you think about God. Or, or you, when you've made this choice, your life looks no different than, than the people around you who might not have a connection to God, But what we see from Daniel is that Daniel chooses a third way, right? Daniel stays out of either extreme, and instead he figures out how to navigate this difficult space of having faith in culture. And when we can figure out how to navigate this, it can be vital to our faith and transforming to our world, So we're going to read a little bit more about the life of Daniel to see how we in our lives today can keep our faith in difficult circumstances. So here's what we learn from the first example from Daniel's life. Resilient faith comes from a God-centered identity. Now, even as Daniel was being fully acclimated into the Babylonian culture, Daniel maintained his God-centered identity. Uh, The Bible even says that God gave Daniel special abilities so that he would find favor with his captors. In his position, Daniel worked for the peace and the prosperity of Babylon because that meant the peace and prosperity of God's people that lived in Babylon. And so Daniel works his whole life in the, in the government. Uh, where we pick up in the story today, he's now in his 80s, uh, and he has earned quite the reputation. Right, so there's a new king that enters the picture. Uh, his name is King Darius, and he is a Persian king. So Persia comes in and attacks and takes over the great city of Babylon. So King Darius uh, appoints some officials uh, to oversee the provinces so that he can establish his government and establish control. And then he takes Daniel and places Daniel over those officials of the provinces. And here's what it says about Daniel in this situation. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all of the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. So this is a Persian king in a Babylonian country making a Jewish leader the highest position of authority, second highest position of authority in the country. And Daniel, it was because he always did what was right. Now the other officials and the other leaders, they were corrupt. They were dishonest. They saw that Daniel had been rewarded for uh, the way that he went about his business. And so this is where the tension of our story really uh, comes to be because these other leaders, they get very jealous of Daniel. They see his power and his influence and his proximity to the king and they want to bring him down. So they, they start a plan of looking into Daniel's life and his work to, to find anything that would discredit him from his position. But they found nothing, right? This is what Daniel says about Daniel. He was always faithful, 
He was always responsible and he was completely trustworthy. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Daniel's faith is so evident in his life that his adversaries come to the conclusion, this is where we're gonna get this guy. We are so sure that he will follow his God, we are going to be able to lay a trap for Daniel. So they go to the king, and they prop the king up, and they make him feel really good about himself, and they ask the king to make this new law. Give orders so that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except you, your majesty, will be thrown into a den of lions. Now in this time period, kings would keep like caves or basements full of hungry lions. So imagine the cave with a small opening and and at any time that the king wanted to, he could throw anyone he wanted into that cave, right? It's quite terrible. So this king, he feels very proud of himself. He's like, oh, these people wanna pray to me? These people think that I'm like God, so not remembering his good friend and confidant Daniel, the king signs this into law. All right, so next we see Daniel's response to this intentional attack to kill him. This is what it says. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows that are open towards Jerusalem He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. So Daniel, he doesn't launch a counterattack on the corrupt officials, right? He doesn't run away to find a safer place that he could be. He doesn't even pray in secret. Or he doesn't even say, like, God, you know I love you. We're good, right? I'll, I'll check in in 30 days. Right? Daniel doesn't rely on what he can do for himself in this situation. Because Daniel's faith was never about himself. It was always about God. Daniel didn't live differently and counterculturally so he could distinguish himself and what he was able to do, Daniel lived that way so people would see who God is and what he is capable of. So now that Daniel's in a life and death situation, Daniel's faith remains resilient. And the stage is set to put God's power on display. And here's the thing that's crazy about it. It says in the Bible that his adversaries, they found him praying. They came to his house while he was praying. They were so sure of his faith that they, they hinged this whole trap on the fact that Daniel would stay faithful to God. So they catch him praying in his very public window and they run back to the king and they tattletale on him. They get to the king and they say, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. And the king responds deeply troubled. The king now realizes, I've been had. My friend is in danger, and he tries the whole day to get Daniel out of the lion's den. He tries to change the law or figure something out, but he can't. 
And so he reluctantly gives the orders to have Daniel arrested to be thrown in the lion's den. And here's what the king says to Daniel. May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. No, this is crazy because the king has just signed a law basically making himself a god, right? And so now the king is saying, I am powerless here. He's beginning to recognize the power of Daniel's God. And we see again that Daniel's so characterized by the way that he serves the Lord. Daniel is walking into the lion's den not because he's done anything wrong, but because his faith compelled him to live so upright. Can you imagine if the people that didn't like you went, went on a mission to discredit you? What would that feel like? And then they come back, and like Daniel's situation, there's like, actually, they're a pretty stand-up person. They're always honest. They're really faithful. They look out for the good of others. I've never met anyone like this person. Right? And all that was good about Daniel was attributed to his connection to God. So when you think about your own life and your own faith, what are you known for? Is your connection to God evident in the life that you live? I want you to think about this this week. Here's actually your action step. Give up one area of your life where you have misplaced identity. Now, this idea of a misplaced identity, it can be really subtle, right? But we can have these things that influence our identity that slowly move us away from being centered in our connection to God. And what I mean by that is, are you someone who lets this perception of, I have it all together, I'm completely self-sufficient, I don't need anyone, Right? Or do you uh, live like I am perfect? My family is perfect. My life is perfect. Right? Are you someone that says, I'm only valuable when I'm productive? So I can never stop working. I can never stop doing. Right? Or, Or have you bought into the lie that if I have more, I will be more happy? Right? So these are little, subtle identities that can shift us out of our connection to God. And also, these misplaced identities, they don't stand up to pressure. When it gets hard, these buckle. So we have to work hard to have our identity centered in who God is and what he's doing in our lives. Because when we face hard things, that is how we keep resilient faith. Here's the second thing that we learn from the the life of Daniel about resilient faith. Resilient faith grows through wisdom and discernment. Now, imagine if Daniel were alive today. He could go home and he could Google, uh, do lions like to eat people? (laughs) Or he could binge Tiger King? Or he could log on, (laughs) you did. He could log onto YouTube and at YouTube University learn how to tame lions, or he could jump on TikTok for some legal advice uh, on how to launch a counterattack when someone's coming after your character, right? Daniel, uh, he doesn't go look for knowledge or understanding or advice or opinions, right? Daniel goes straight to discerning uh, the wisdom of God. He discerns what is obedient to do in this 
very hard situation. And how? I mean, how does he do it? How does that become his default? Well, when you read about his life, you see he was regularly encountering God. Not only through his quiet, regular life of prayer, but he saw God do amazing things. We also, when we read about Daniel, it's clear that he knew God's word. He, he learned what God wanted him to know from the Bible, and he used that to stay centered in his faith and make God-honoring choices. Daniel's hopeful perspective on the situation came from his belief that God was still in control of the situation. This exile, this night in the lion's den, this wasn't the end for Daniel. That uh, God had promised a better future for his people. He said, I will redeem you, I will restore you, I will bring you to your home. And Daniel never lost sight of God's provision and sovereignty. I think that that is what Daniel was thinking about when he was surrounded in the den of lions. Oh yeah, Daniel's still in the lion's den. I left him there. We should probably get back to our story to see what happens next. So King Darius, um, Daniel's friend, who has just been up all night, he is wrecked that his friend is in this lion's den. He, it says he wakes up early and he runs to the den of lions to check on Daniel. And this is amazing because by any measure of usual standards, Daniel is not alive in that lion's den. The lions were starved before he went in there, so they would be extra ferocious, right? Daniel wasn't the first person that had gone into the lion's den. So the fact that the king goes in case there's a chance that Daniel's alive shows that he's beginning to believe. So the king, he comes to the lion's den and he cries down, Daniel, Servant of the living God was your God, whom you so faithfully serve, able to rescue you from the lions. Now, this Persian king, he calls God a very specific name. This name, the living God, is from the book of Jeremiah in the Bible. Jeremiah was another prophet at this very time in exile. And we can read in Jeremiah 10.10, he says this, but the Lord is the only true God. He is the living God and the everlasting king. So we can believe that Daniel talked to Darius about the living God. Daniel showed Darius, how God changed him and made it possible for him to live the life that he did in exile. So when we begin to see the belief of the king, because of the faith of Daniel, we understand how when we bring our faith into our world, it has a transforming impact on people and on us. So the king comes to the edge of the den and calls out to Daniel. And then a voice from inside the lion's den says, long live the king. My God sent his angels to the lion's mouths so that they would not hurt me for I have been found innocent in his sight and I have not wronged you, your majesty. God does it again. This is impossible. 
But God shows again that he has the power to do what is impossible. So Darius is overjoyed. He has them raise Daniel out of the lion's den, and the Bible says that Daniel had not even one scratch on him. So then Darius, in his anger, he goes and he gets the officials, and he throws them into the lion's den. And the Bible says that they were devoured before they hit the ground. Now that part we usually leave out of the kids' version (laughs) of this story, right? But Darius is so amazed that he issues a decree that says everyone should tremble in fear at Daniel's God. This is what he says, for he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So this sentence right here, for his kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. This is the basis of hope for Daniel's perspective in exile. Daniel knows whoever's in charge Whatever happens, God is in control and God's kingdom will never end. And this is the basis for the hope that we can have in our faith. When Jesus was alive and when Jesus was encouraging his disciples to have resilient faith by staying connected to him, this is what he told the disciples in John 16.33. He says, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Now this was not meant to discourage the disciples. And this was not meant to make them afraid of the world. But Jesus was saying, there are hard things. There will be. And for you to get through them, you draw close to me. You draw close to Jesus because Jesus has overcome. There is nothing greater than Jesus here on this earth or for eternity. And so God is saying, when you go through hard things, because God doesn't promise that we won't, but he does promise that when we go through them, he is with us every step of the way. So when you go through trials and sorrows, what is your first response? What is the first thing you do, right? Because that first choice, that's the undercurrent that can move you towards God or away from him. So here's an action step for this week. The next time you are stressed or worried, make prayer your first response. Now, I kid you not, I typed these words on my computer. I finished this sentence and a very dear friend of mine sent me a text message about a very scary diagnosis she had just received. And I panicked. And in my office, I thought, what do I do? What do I do? And these words were staring me in the face. And I said, okay, this is what I do. So I shut my office door and I just sat there in the presence of God because I didn't even have words. My heart and my mind were so all over the place that I just 
needed God. I needed him for hope and for peace and for strength in this really heartbreaking situation. Because even when we don't get the answer to prayer that we want, or even when we don't hear from God, or even when we don't understand, prayer has the ability to shift our focus off of ourselves and our limited understanding and our limited ability onto a God who knows all and can do everything. And when we can't see past the problem that's right in front of us, prayer helps us look through that to see that God has promised to make all things right. God will never give up on us. Right? Prayer gives us the ability to step out of this temporary life, this temporary circumstance, and see that there is an everlasting kingdom where there are no trials and hardships, and we get to be there with God. So when you pray, you can ask God things like, what do you want me to know right now? Or what do you want me to do right now? These prayers are so powerful when you are searching in scripture and you don't know what to do or you have a choice to make. Pray and ask God. Or uh, if you find yourself in a heartbreaking situation or you're just full of despair, say, God, what should I know? What do I need to do? And you can even, when you're mad at God, pray to God and ask him, what should I know? What should I do? And even when things are good, when things are going right and you just don't want to lose sight of who God is and what he's done for you, you can pray because it centers us in our identity and our connection to God. Because it's not a matter of if you will need resilient faith. You will. You will need resilient faith. And we can start now growing that faith so that we can handle whatever we're up against. And Daniel shows us this, that we can have resilient faith in every circumstance. And that faith comes from a God-centered identity and it grows through wisdom and discernment. Now, when I was on the beach that night with my family and I watched the lifeguard go to the tower, come to the water, go to the tower, come to the water, I thought, is he ever just gonna give up on them? Is he ever gonna decide they'll never learn? Here we are again on this drifting thing. I might as well just let them hit the pier. He didn't. He did it. He came faithfully every time to pull them out of harm's way. And when we drift in our faith, God is the same way. God is always there. He is always ready to love you. He's always ready to forgive you. He will always call you out of the water and move you to a place of closer, deeper, more meaningful connection to him. So wherever you are in your faith, your questioning, or your circumstances, let this be a moment that you come out of the water. Let's come out and let's find God and be more connected to him. Now we're gonna close our service in prayer, so if you could go ahead and stand with me now. If you're in the midst of something, uh, if you have a lion's den ahead of you, if you need someone to stand with you in prayer, please come pray with us. We have amazing volunteers and staff who are always down by the cross at the front who are ready to pray with you. Um, but let's pray right now.
Dear God, you're amazing. When we read these stories of the Old Testament, let us find you and let us live in the promise that you're with us and let us live in the hope that you have a better future for us. God, when we encounter hard things, let our first response be to find you and to connect to you. God, help us to have resilient faith because you are a God who is with us and and can do amazing things. It is an honor to be sons and daughters of you. In your name I pray, amen. Hey, thanks for being here today. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, We'll see you back next week. We're so excited for our new series, and so you don't want to miss it. We hope to see you there.